What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's going on, man? Yo, man, I look forward to this, uh, this episode. This is our second year in a row doing it. And um, man, you know, I've always, you and I have talked about it. I always kind of like those opportunities to look back at the year that is, the year that was, and really kind of understand what its, what its themes are and celebrate some of its great music. So man, I've been looking forward to this as much as any episode we've done in a while. Yeah, I agree, man. There's always arcs that you don't recognize. Uh, it's a chance to go back and listen to great music. I've listened to a bunch of albums this week, and man, it was a really great year for hip-hop. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. But, you know, usually what Jake and I do is we'll go through and kind of create, like, top 10, top 20 lists for different things. It's been, you know, typically albums every year, sometimes songs, sometimes freestyles. You know, this has been actually, a, I think, a, a relatively quiet year for freestyles when I think about it. But this year, we're going to do something different. We're going to really talk about the the events that occurred, like really trying to encapsulate the year in hip hop that was news. So we're going to talk about that from a few different ways. We're going to discuss it in terms of uh, traffic, because often that tells a very different story than what kind of cultural impact does. We will talk about cultural impact. We'll talk about things that uh, popped up in the podcast that didn't necessarily, um, you know, didn't that had a different impact via podcast than did via the site and try and make it interesting. But it's been a real cool year and looking forward to discussing it. So you ready to get into it? Yeah, man, let's do it. So, you know, I I like beginning with impact. Um, Like you just said, that tells a very different story sometimes than numbers. And I also think that echoes kind of the ethos of Ambrosia for Heads. Um, you know, we've always believed that numbers are helpful and we like to listen to them and treat them with all due respect. But you and I, so many times, the, the, the stories that excite us, the stories that we make personal sacrifices in our lives to report on, to tell, to really present, aren't always going to be reflected in the numbers. And, you know, this year, I think there's some nice overlap, but it's fitting to start with that impact. Um, so I'm going to kick it off to you, man. Tell us, and, and for anyone listening too, we um, or watching, we're doing this in reverse order, you know, um, kind of uh, a ranking to the top. So you can kind of guess and, and, and listen along, play along with us. Absolutely. So, yo, what you said about the numbers not capturing everything, I think is a great segue into the first uh, the first kind of moment. And in some ways, this was the year of the dragon, you know, Buster Rhymes. The Dungeon Dragon was, um, you know, in our opinion, the person who dropped the best album of 2020. And you and I know that um, the, uh, the Grammys came out recently reflecting that output, you know, and his album would have qualified for 2021 because of the window that he did. Uh, and he was overlooked. I think it was a classic album. I would say there's probably Busta's best album in his catalog. I think it was in many ways a comeback album, not to say that he's been anywhere, but it was at a magnitude and quality level that was different than anything that we've heard from him in quite a while. And that was shamefully ignored, but he had a mic drop moment in September, or actually late August, which I think reminded everyone of just what an incredible world-class performer this guy is. And you're, you're the one who wrote the story and created the image, which I think just perfectly captured it but you, you want to talk about it 
Yeah, and, and one quick addendum, just because I, I love the fact that people are listening. I mean, you and I started this in March of 2020, um, you know, when we kind of made a pivot from the site. But we've we started this podcast, What's the Headline? And a lot of people have been listening every week. Last year, when we closed out the year, I said Royce the Five Nines allegory was my album of 2020. But make no mistake, Buster Rhymes ELE2 is definitely in my top three last year. And I would contend to say it's his best album. Um, hands down, he made a classic album 30 years into his career, which was a headline you came up with. But getting to what you just said, um, you know, full disclosure, whether it's the Grammy Awards or the VMAs or the Billboard Awards, BET Awards, performances don't always move me anymore. Um, oftentimes, I think they, they veer very much into audience reaction shots and, and just kind of medleys of hits that, that just feel very cut and dry to me. And the VMAs this year, full... I didn't expect much from. I think that what they consider to be hip hop, if Kendrick Lamar or J. Cole isn't performing, you know, is probably not our as, as a hip hop community venue. And then I watched this Busta Rhymes performance and it blew me away. I mean, one of the things that we covered in 2020, along with Busta making a classic album, is his health journey, his fitness journey. You know, Busta dropped a lot of weight. He damn near nearly died because of a condition. Um, you know, in his throat, and he was sleeping close to a fan. Um, we've watched a lot of, you know, hip hop legends pass away for various causes. And Busta really took his health, smoking cigarettes, things like that into his account. And it showed in this performance. I think that if you were to go to like, you know, 95 to 2002, maybe 2005, Busta was an elite performer, the energy, the delivery, the choreography. And, you know, here we are, you know, 15 years past that, and he's bringing that same energy. And he wore a leather suit, kind of looking like Just Ice, you know, from like 88, like leather, red. Um, and he had Spliff Star with him, you know, kept it classic. And he tore it down. But to your point, the interesting thing to me was, you know, Busta Rhymes has never won a VMA. But yet he gives the stage, which happened to be at the Barclays Center. And Busta Rhymes, you know, reps Brooklyn as well as Long Island. Um, he gave it his all. And it was almost like, you know, uh, an FU to award shows. And I know we talk about that a lot with the Grammys, but it was like Busta left it all on the table. And that suddenly became the angle. It was more than just like, hey, Busta Rhymes performs his hits at the VMA. Um, it became something, you know, far, far deeper. Busta Rhymes VMA performance is a drop the mic moment because at the very end of the performance, Busta drops the mic you know, like Obama out. And we captured that. And it's fun to do that here and there when it's warranted. And this was absolutely warranted of Busta dropping the mic. Word. And, you know, it's just a reminder, like he was such a visual icon. The videos, I think he and Missy together really kind of revolutionized video. A lot of that was Hype Williams. Um, I think that it was also a reminder of the joints that he has. He's just got incredible songs and hits and, you know, he's had a really incredible year. Like, I think he basked in the glory of that album. It dropped, I think, in like December, late November, December. And it held for like several months. We had it, you know, deep on our playlist for a long time. People were talking about it. And then he got uh, reinvigorated by, you know, just uh, his long affiliation with Dr. Dre. You know, um, Dre recently dropped a project. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Buster's on that, too. And it's a reminder of the great music I'm sure those dudes have in the chamber. You know, we only got a little bit of taste, but I bet you they've got 20, 30 songs. And so 
I think it was a great year for Busta and a, a great moment for hip hop for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So next up is, um, you know, something that w- we just alluded to, like, so hip hop submitted its mainstream legacy. So Time Magazine, I think it was back in 1999, it was either 99 or 2000, had a cover with Lauryn Hill on it and it said Hip Hop Nation. Hmm. So you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. And, you know, for people in hip hop, it was like, okay, you're like 10 years late on that, uh, first of all, because hip hop has <laughs> been a hip hop nation for a long time now. Um, but it was, you know, kind of the mainstream acknowledgement of the culture of, of hip hop's kind of overtaking mainstream culture. Now, fast forward 20 years later, and we're starting to see that being cemented through, um, you know, really, you know, reflecting an almost like Hall of Fame level celebration of moments in time that that are related to hip hop. I was just at a restaurant recently in New York. Oh, you know, by the way, just one last thing on Busta. So I went to see Dave Chappelle. Um, he did his documentary uh, premiere at Barclays uh, in early November or mid-November, something like that. And he had a bunch of people perform. Rakim performed, her. Um, but Busta came out and absolutely shut it down. It was it was just like that VMA. The, the whole energy changed in the building everyone got up and it was after like four or five hours of entertainment like people were tired but um you know busta like had everybody on their feet and it just really really showed you what an incredible performer he is but in any case so going back to hip-hop and its mainstream legacy there are a couple things that happened this year that i don't think even in 2000 with hip-hop nation covers on time magazine we could have imagined um so one is um the Super Bowl halftime, we get you no, know, uh, and this just blew me away. It almost seemed like a like a like a rumor on Twitter or something like that. But that hip hop, the the halftime show was going to be Dr. Dre, and it's it's basically like his family. So it's it's Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige, uh, and Mary obviously doing Family Affair with him is a part of that. But it seems like a, a celebration not only of hip hop but of Dr. Dre himself. Um, and we covered that. So what were your thoughts when that when that first broke? You know, I, I'll admit my faults. When that first happened, I wasn't as excited by it as you were. And I believe you texted me. I mean, and it wasn't even necessarily a nudge that this was something worthy of the site. It was just like you were really excited by it. And then oh, in time, I saw the excitement of our readers. Um, and I, I believe it. And it, 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 it totally makes sense. I mean, Dr. Dre is somebody that you know, my mom knows who he is. My father knows who he is. He transcends and, you know, he has hit records. He's been around for 35 plus years and various iterations. He also, you know, especially five years ago, had a, had a, had a piece of electronics that became an accessory. Like you knew it was like guest jeans or, you know, a certain bag or, or jacket. Like people knew his name based on those headphones design. And that's never quite translated in the way that it should. And I think that this is a huge affirmation. And now, I mean, that, that news broke either at the end of September, or early October. And now we see that that was, you know, a bookend or a, a milestone checkpoint. And Dre has already since then filled it with things building up to it, including new music, which is always what I care about most when it comes to Dre. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've discussed this, but, there's someone in the background who had a pretty strong hand in this and that's Jay-Z. 
you know, Jay-Z um, formed a partnership with the NFL two years ago in the midst of the Colin Kaepernick controversy. He took a lot of heat over that. A lot of people thought he was selling out. Um, Jay himself reportedly had actually turned down a Super Bowl halftime performance that year. Uh, it was filled by Maroon 5 and then Big Boy and Travis Scott joined as well. Um, but since then, Jay has done a lot of things uh, to really be, um, you know, influential in how the NFL moves. So this is obvious one. Um, you know, they, they ultimately settled with Colin Kaepernick, which is good. Um, there have been a lot of con- community service activities. But this one was a major statement. And, um, you know, I think Jay uh, is another part of how Hips Hop's mainstream legacy has been cemented. Uh, earlier this year, he and LL Cool J were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we've talked about it many times. Don't need to go deep into it. But there's always been a conflicted legacy with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, and hip hop. It's called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's not very much inclusion of, of hip hop or any other genre in that name. But it has de facto become the Music Hall of Fame. So to have these guys in it, I think, is a big deal. And they're, they're certainly not the first um, rap artist to be in it, right? There's Public Enemy, NWA. Um, you know, there's five, Run yeah. DMC. You know. Yeah, there have been quite a few people. But we've never seen it take over the celebration uh, to this extent. So LL has Dr. Dre come out and induct him. And Dre does like an eight-minute speech. And he's it's the most I've ever heard Dre talk outside of Defiant Ones. He's happy. He's engaged. It, it seems like it's from the heart. It's not overly scripted. Like, he is really talking about the love that he has for this man. And you can tell because when you step back and think about it, Dr. Dre came uh, of prominence in, say, 87, 88. You know, um, you know, the Easy e album, Easy Does It, comes out uh, straight out of Compton. It's like around 88, 89. And so, um, you know, when he was aspiring to get big and was a DJ in clubs and stuff like that, guess who was running the radio? Literally, LL Cool J. So it makes sense that LL Cool J is more than just a... Uh, a musical like partner to him. He's an inspiration. He's an icon to him. So he gets to induct his big homie in some ways into the rock and roll hall of fame. And you can just see him gushing. And that was a true incredible hip hop moment. He brings out Eminem. They perform rock the bells. Like it's incredible. And, but, and that would be enough, right? But it doesn't end there. So Jay-Z gets inducted and he's inducted by Dave Chappelle. who We talked about earlier, but then also, uh POTUS number 44 um and 44 is like you know a so prominent in Jay's um legacy um you know Barack Obama comes out and or actually does a video but how many times do you see a president celebrating an artist in that kind of mainstream form but that's not enough either he has a video where literally like 40 stars from Lin-Manuel to Beyonce to like everyone you can think of celebrating him and inducting him into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame And then he gets on stage and does a drop the mic speech, too. So overall, hip hop took up about 40 minutes of this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and did it in the biggest of of, of ways. You know, for years, I've been talking to hip hop artists that have often um, been envious of the way that the rock and roll community like creates this element of classic rock, you know, of the Who or the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin or pick anyone, you know, three or four rungs down can go out on tour they're constantly on radio they build a culture around itself and i think that in 2021 we've gotten to a whole new level 
of building a culture around our legends. And Dre and LL and Jay-Z are great examples of that. But I, I think that, you know, we're saying the same thing, but Versus is an extension of that too, of, you know, creating an evening and a hype building up to it where we talk about the hits, we talk about the impact. Um, we're looking at our OGs differently and there is a different reverence and respect, I think, than there's been in times past. And shout out to the Universal Hip Hop Museum, which has already broken ground in the Bronx. Shout out to Rock the Bells. I mean, we have our station now where you can literally flip on the radio in your car or wherever and hear classic hip hop, um, as well as new mixed in. Like we have an ambrosia for heads. I love that. And I think that we are getting to such a great place Um for that mainstream celebration and not making it about the hip hop stars of today and tomorrow exclusively, but celebrating our, our forefathers and our foremothers and, and all of that, you know, and it's, it's a great, great experience. Yeah. And this isn't about us seeking approval, right? Hip hop has never sought approval, but it's about us getting our damn respect too, to yeah. quote LeBron James. You know what I mean? It's pretty dope to see it happen, you know, on the big stage. So uh, next up, we've talked about them a couple times, but that's just a reflection of how big a year it's been. But you want to you want to talk about this one? Yeah, I mean, you just said it. We are in the midst of Dr. Dre's comeback campaign. And this one, you know, I remember in 1999 when he released, I know the years 2001, you know, or what was supposed to be the chronic 2000, uh, 2001. And that felt like a buildup. I still remember Dre pulling the 6-4 Impala onto, I don't even know if it was called TRL yet, but Carson Daly through Times Square getting out with Eminem and the DOC and Snoop and having that moment. And this year it's more poetic, you know, in January, almost one year ago, we learned that Dre had suffered an aneurysm and spent significant time in the hospital. And, you know, thanks be to God, we've learned that, you know, Dre is, is okay and healing and all of that. Um, if you read TMZ or you read a lot of the gossip sites, you know, Dre has gone through one of the highest profile divorces. I would say, you know, in terms of hip hop artists, I can't think of a bigger one, um, which was allegedly finalized uh, just weeks ago. But Dre has has gone through a lot, you know, and also let's not forget, it's been six years since he put out the Compton album. Um, I don't think that album was received, certainly to the extent of 2001 or The Chronic or Straight Outta Compton. Um, and Dre is a man about legacy. We've detox at this point has become a cliche. And all of a sudden this year, we started to hear that Dre's working. He's working on something, and then Snoop had alluded that it was a video game. And just now, recently, um, and literally in the last 10 days, we've gotten um, new Dr. Dre music through the Grand Theft Auto franchise. It's called The Contract. And, you know, shout out to Dre. Again, you know, he made his billions, not just off of music, but more off of evolving into, you know, merchandising and consumer electronics. Here's Dre being smart again. You and I have talked on this podcast about innovators like Travis Scott, you know, playing with Fortnite and putting on a concert in there. Like the future is video games. And what other way do you have a captive audience that wants to consume your music than video games? You know, I'm in my 30s and I still remember playing Grand Theft Auto and enjoying songs that would come on the radio station. So Dre and his team putting new music out this way in a really respected brand and the GTA brand you know, we put this in the story when we reported it, you go back to Boys in the Hood and Easy says it's all about making that GTA. Like, come on. Like, I learned that phrase from NWA and here you have Dre putting out new music through what has made Grand Theft Auto a household expression. 
Um, so it's only right. And as you probably can, can attest to, the music is dope. The music is super dope. And we'll talk about it in detail in, in a few minutes. But I think it's Dre at, at, at his finest since 2001, for sure. Like, uh, it's it's really incredible and actually makes me hope that he's this is just like a sneak preview, that he's got more in the can because this this is really, really high quality music. I think it is. And, and you know, Dr. Dre is you know, one of my favorite artists in, in all of history. And what's interesting about him is he kind of, it's, it's, it's feast or famine. And I think we saw that after the 2001 album, all of a sudden he was dedicating himself to Eminem albums, to, you know, Snoop's Last Meal and Blue Carpet Treatment. He was all up on, um, you know, did a lot of things with Exhibit and so on and so forth. And I think that Dre is refocused. I think he's re-energized. I think he's about legacy. And now there's so many more interesting ways to release it evident in a video game. Also like his artist, Kendrick Lamar, Dre could literally decide right now while you and I are recording to put a body of workout or a single out. It's, it's more power to the creator than there's ever been before. And I think over time, Dre was, was frustrated with the system of bootlegging and of, you know, reviews and, and not being able to tweak something at the last minute. So I think 2022 um, you know, well, many things can happen. I would bet I'd bet the ranch on that Dr. Dre is a dominant artist and putting out a lot of art and music next year. And I bet you there's not I bet you there's some correlation between his putting out music now and everything he's gone through. You know, you know, every everything we hear about Dre is that he's a perfectionist. And the reason why he hasn't released the music is because he's constantly tweaking it, trying to make it better. But when you have something like a near-death experience, like a like an aneurysm, or you go through something that like completely turns your life upside down, like a divorce, it gives you different perspective. And I think you you realize that tomorrow is not promised; it's not guaranteed. And so he's got to get this stuff out, man. I think he is a guy who cares about his legacy, and I think that he knows that despite the headphones and you know everything else, the music is his true legacy. And like you said, Compton wasn't the, 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 the coda. It wasn't the, the final chapter. And so if there's going to be one, I think he wants it to be to be right. So uh, if this is an indication, he's definitely on his way. So, so next, oh, right, right. well, next up, like is a story that you broke um, for us, literally uh, watching in real time. We talked about it recently in depth, so we won't go into it, but you know, you can find the podcast, but Bone Thugs and Harmony versus Three Six Mafia. You want to talk about that? Yeah, man. I got my old ass up out of bed just because it mattered. It's a moment. And um, on one hand, and I think you and I have done probably the best job, I would say, but we've really celebrated the, the positivity of versus, the celebration of artists, the spirit of competition. But in anything, you know, like battle rap, like sports, there's always going to be... Um, some controversy too and yeah i mean in and i guess round four of the bone thugs and harmony versus three six mafia versus uh busy bone took umbrage with some of the things that were going on stage by his opponents he um said some things to, aimed at juicy j and gangsta boo juicy j responded with an expression that is fat joe diligent you know uh, eloquently put it is a kind of drop the gloves moment. Like you're going to fight, you're going to fight or you're going to take an L if you don't do something. And busy through a, I believe a microphone and a bottle of water. And, 
you know, it wasn't a bench clearing brawl. It wasn't a brawl at all, but both parties came to be, I think there was some swings. I don't know if those punches landed, but it was a moment. And, you know, we spent an entire podcast talking about it, but what's interesting is, you know, this particular versus like a few others, there's a lot of history here. Um, You know, these groups aren't bad boy in death row, but there was a lot of 1990s speculation of who came up with that style, who came up with some of that imagery, um, you know, various comments made and it mattered. And, you know, the reason why I think it has impact too is there, you know, as we're talking about creating a culture around hip hop, I sometimes think that there are artists and there are movements and there are regions that go overlooked and this matters. And absolutely everyone can cover it tomorrow morning when they hear about it. But you and I, I mean, you and I were texting at midnight last night about another podcast interview like we are so passionate and dedicated. And this isn't to, to, to play our own bugle, but it mattered. And I wanted other people to know, we wanted other people to know and, and cover it with context. So we did so. And I think that it's a moment for versus. It does not have the impact of a couple of the things we're going to talk about in a minute, but it shows why versus is important. What's interesting to me is even though there's peace, like I saw DJ Paul recently say he hopes to produce an entire album alone for Busy Bone. There have been some interesting comments. Crunchy Black said he believes that Busy Bone did it um, because he felt as though 3-6 Mafia was up three rounds to zero. It's just one of those moments that gets a lot of, of discourse. And we want to create the stage for that and provide the context. So I do think it matters. Yeah, the context is really important. You know, we've always been a site to not deal in just salaciousness. And I'll step back and say that I have no judgment about, like, I have no value judgments about what people like and what entertains them. You know, uh, I'm not one who believes in censorship. I don't believe in, um, you know, but I also don't believe in exploitation. Uh, I really believe in, like you said, providing context so that there can be some, you know, there can be some depth and substance, even in stories that appear on the surface as salacious. And I also think that the balance comes in providing all different perspectives and showcasing all different things, you know, um, we showcase a ton of very positive stuff. And I, I think that, you know, if you look at the scope of our coverage, 90% of it is positive. Uh, the 10% that, you know, is kind of like uh, more, you know, uh, in the, you know, I'm not going to even say, I'm not going to use a judgmental term, but that is, that is more, that is not as positive um, is, and interestingly, and we'll get into that with, with, with the traffic, it is usually the stuff that drives the most traffic. And, you know, I think that's a, an interesting commentary on what it is that we like as human beings, you know. Um, but again, I don't try and force feed anything. And we cover, we used to cover stuff on, you know, the environment, on um, LGBTQ rights, like, uh, you know, activism, uh, Black Lives Matter all that stuff. But it, interestingly, it, it's typically the drama that draws the most, the most interest, the most coverage, you know? And so we do that. Um, you know, we're not trying to be some of the platforms out there that do it exclusively. Uh, and when we do it, we, we do it with care and judgment. Uh, but, you know, uh, we got to have a voice in this too. And lots so. of context. And, 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 you know, to add to that, we couldn't leave the story right there, you know, and we did a whole podcast episode and we also packaged it in an update of Busy Bone and DJ Paul and Fat Joe separately, but on the same podcast, 
providing additional context, first person context. We weren't just out for if it bleeds, it leads, and then leave it alone and not cover Bone Thugs and Harmony or Three Six Mafia again for five years. It was about telling the complete story and providing an update, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I believe so much in, in what AFH is. Yeah, our headline for the podcast was literally the, uh, the biggest win came after the fight because, you know, the altercation happens after round three or four or something like that. And then, you know, after, you know, a moment, you know, tensions like uh, dissipate, busy rejoins and they perform crossroads together and, and like and embrace and like show each other love. And afterwards, DJ Paul. Um, you know, talks about how he has nothing but love for, for, for Bone Thugs. Busy, like, comes on and explains and says he wasn't in his best, like, mood because he was ill and, you know, beforehand and really should have um, conducted himself differently. So, yeah, absolutely right. That's what we did, for sure. So from one versus to another, uh, both tense but in very different ways. Um, and, and shout out to Versus. You know, they a big part of 2021 and gave us these talking points um, throughout the year, but big daddy Kane versus KRS one. And you and I, um, we, I literally changed travel plans. You know, my very first trip overseas to a different continent because this was scheduled. And I was like, man, you know, we got to cover this. And I also want to see it. I don't, I don't want to miss it. And boy, oh boy, did it have impact. Yeah, man, it's, it's wild. I, I, I remember you did that. Uh, I forgot it was for this one, but it, it ended up being uh, our biggest podcast of the year by a factor of like two. Like it was gigantic <laughs> for us, which is crazy. I don't think either one of us expected that. But, you know, it's interesting because the the verses itself was a bit disjointed. You know, first of all, just the context is I think a lot of people wanted to see Big Daddy versus Rakim. Uh, Big Daddy said that he always wanted to battle KRS-One because Kara, because Rakim was not a battle rapper, KRS-One was, and Kane, you know, uh, prided himself on being able to mix it up with MCs, and so he wanted to go at the person that a lot of people saw as, as one of the best of that era at, at really battling, which is KRS. So they get on stage, and you know, it, you and I saw two very different verses. I had Kane just whooping him for the first like eight, nine rounds. And, um, <laughs> and you saw it as more even than that. We ended up like very close in score. I think we both, I had Kane winning by like one. Um, I think you were there or had like maybe a tie or something like that. Yeah. But, not, not, yeah. I had, I had Kane winning. It was very close to a tie. Um, you know, and, and there was some under, understanding and context that we got afterwards from DJ scratch, but yeah, continue anyway. but you though, um, to your credit, you picked up on this, really early you said there was some tension going on and um you know you said there was some stuff going on with tj scratch and you know i thought the tension was between uh kane and 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 scratch because you know there are a couple times where kane was basically like dead that don't do that you know Um, and scratch was going to kick capri it seemed like they were supposed to be doing that and scratch seemed surprised but you know he cut it off it then came out the next day, though, DJ Scratch posted an Instagram. And I'll say that, like, our, our podcast got decent traction when we posted it first. Uh, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, like, exponentially greater than anything else. It was, like, in there, probably top five or something like that. But the next day, Scratch gives uh, context about what happened. And he said that KRS basically completely deviated from the plan. 
and he was supposed to do one set list, did something completely different. There was supposed to be a format where uh, Scratch and Kate Capri battled, like that got scrapped. And the whole thing got thrown off, uh, allegedly, because, um, you know, Scratch says that uh, can't, that the KRS just went completely off script and was not and not being cool. And so the inside dirt on that, when we posted that story the next day, exploded and became one of our biggest stories of the year and really amped up the podcast in a major way. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to talk about with, with that? Yeah, I mean, the original story was 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 dope enough. And I mean, our context and, and our recap and round for round, even though I know the tie was I got a lot of hell for that. Um, you know, it was like the scenario. And then you came with the remix by adding what Scratch had to say. And that really created a whole different light on the whole event. And it was massive and truly if not for what I'm about to say was the biggest versus uh, I would say yet period. But the next one, and I don't think this will come as a surprise to any hip hop heads is the locks versus Dipset. And, you know, looking back, did you think that this would be, if you were to talk about the top 10 biggest things before it happened, do you think this would be anywhere close to that list of a year? Not at all. Not at all. You know, um, I saw those as two groups who uh, were, kind of underground heroes at the time you know um obviously dipset had some mainstream success as did locks but the vast majority of their career has been underground and uh but they've always had very very devoted uh fan bases you know so i could see it being kind of a niche niche uh success but i didn't see it as being like one of the top versions something that would dominate not only our news cycle but like all of hip hop news cycle for days and, you know, really just seeping into mainstream culture in a way that I would have never expected, but it really kind of revolutionized things for uh, the locks for sure. I think it put versus back on the map, you know, versus has been up and down, but this is something that made it like once again, kind of must see TV. And it was most importantly, I think a reminder of the legacy of New York hip hop. You know, hip hop is the birthplace. Uh, New York is the hip- birthplace of of hip hop. Um, obviously, West Coast plays a big part too, but Atlanta has ruled the roost for the better part of fifteen years now. And this was a reminder that New York has got something to say. Yeah, and I don't know if I hundred percent agree on the Atlanta part, but I definitely agree on your point on New York and New York slang, New York fashion, New York aesthetic. Um, all through hip hop, you know, has reigned. And it's really important to give those MCs their, their, their crowns for it. And I love too. I mean, you know, I'll say it again. I thought the Bone Thugs 3-6 Mafia Versus had some great song selection. I thought the performances in most places were pretty sloppy. This was the finest performance on the lock side that I've ever seen on a Versus. And Jada Kiss, to a massive extent, this was a career defining moment for him. I mean, he is the top five that are alive, self-proclaimed MC. And he showed better than I think any song he's ever put out why that be the case. He came prepared. He worked the crowd. There was theatrics. There was pageantry, all within the on-brand way of of D-Block Deluxe. And again, that night, I mean, we almost did it as a, hey, you know, there's not a whole lot else to talk about this week. Let's cover this. And we taped our podcast right after that. I mean, we taped until like 2.30, 3 in the morning. And that was, and, and it, it didn't even, I didn't even feel tired because I was so exhilarated by what I had watched. And to me, um, I think that is one of the events that will not only keep the Versus brand strong for another year, another two years, another 10 years, 
but it really, the next time the locks do something together, they are in better place than they've been since they were on bad boy. It also redefined what versus is supposed to be because versus, you know, initially started out with Swizz and Timbaland having a beat battle and uh, it was, comp- it was competitive. You know, they weren't like throwing each other shade, but it also wasn't a kumbaya, let's celebrate each other kind of moment. They were competitive. It was hip hop, but very early on, and maybe this is because of COVID and the situation we were in, it became very non-confrontational. It became very celebratory kudos there was some shade, uh, you know, Babyface certainly and, and Teddy Riley certainly throwing shade, Babyface more so than Teddy even. Uh, but it was it was still done with a smile and like, you know, a plum. This was like, no, this is like brass knuckles, like, you know, we're going to mix it up and get into it, but we're going to be respectful. And, you know, these guys were very strategic. They let up in social media going to each other, but they had a concert plan together. They, they definitely were about that bag Hold and they wanted it. Yeah. And they wanted to put on a show and it was more WWE than like, you know, um, than, and than WBA, but, um, but Jada and, you know, Jim Jones, and those guys really brought it to each other. And in some ways, I think it's what set up the altercation for three, six and bone, because those guys didn't get the memo that these guys had really prepared for it and, you know, had a strategy and I think they went in trying to do the same thing and tempers flared and like, you know, it, it just, it, it went to where it did. Every versus is different. I mean, I think of the, the Jill Scott and Erica Badu one, which was like a love fest in a really good way. I don't say that disparagingly, like, you know, it was a celebration of each other, DJ premier and RZA, which, you know, was one of the early ones of like, yo, two OGs kind of having a beat battle. They can take all different lights and meanings. And this one was the most impressive I've seen yet. And, uh, Man, absolutely. So, you know, you and I have known each other now since 2013. So we're almost nine years and we've worked together for most of that. I mean, like, you know, uh, apart from six months, all of that. And there have been a few times where you've said this will be the biggest story of the month, of the week, a couple times of the year. And a couple times, you know, if we're going to use a baseball analogy, those might be like, you know, foul balls that go and then they curve. And a couple of them turn into extra base hits. This year, very recently, you were like Babe Ruth, allegedly in the 32 World Series. You got up to the plate, you pointed to the stands, and you smacked it out of the park. You called the biggest story, um, you know, this year, apart from one that we're going to talk about, which is a little different. I got I to gotta let you kind of break that down for me. Yeah, so the number two, if you're keeping track, the number two biggest story of the year in terms of cultural impact is actually one that has multiple chapters. Um, you know, so we talked about verses, and our last two have been Kane versus KRS and Dipset versus Locks. The, the, the biggest verses of the year is the traditional versus VS instead of the verses. And that's been Drake versus Kanye West. And this is the culmination of more than 10 years of back and forth between these two dudes. So, um, you know, we, we've got extensive podcasts. I encourage you, if you really want to dive into it, we've got a couple this year and a ton of stories on the site really kind of breaking down their history. But, you know, things culminated for these guys um, this summer when they were both in album mode, throwing shots at each other with diss songs, really going at each other with release dates, all sorts of things. And then, like, Kanye does his Drink Champs, which is another moment here uh, we didn't talk about, but... Um, that's one of the biggest moments of the year was Kanye 
on Drink Champs, and it's because he was incredibly candid about everything from business to um, his on-again, off-again relationship with Drake. And, you know, but weeks later, we find Kanye and Drake standing on steps together with Jay Prince, you know, proclaiming peace and saying that they're going to do a benefit together for, um, for, for Larry Hoover. Now, uh, you and I talked about this and we said, huh, is this piece going to last? Is it, you know, just for theater? Like, what, what's the deal? And but then the, the, the concert happens. Everyone like celebrates it. It's a big kumbaya moment. The two of them walk, you know, in together. They walk off stage together. They embrace on stage, you know, during the transition. They perform each perform one of each other's songs, um, you know, the whole nine. Kanye's got a chip on his shoulders, doing his greatest hits medley, uh, almost treating it like a versus. Drake does a very odd set, and uh, it's 12 songs, not comprised of his biggest hits. He's got something like 254, like, uh, top 10 hits, you know, 58, like, top 10 joint. Like, he's, he's got, like, all sorts of... He's got an incredible number of songs. And um, so we started thinking about it. And last week we broke the story that actually Drake, it turns out used his set, the vast majority of it to diss Kanye. He's got a number of songs that have lines that seem to be directed at Ye. We've got a lot of context from Kanye himself saying that Drake doesn't just come at you straightforward. He'll sneak diss you. He'll do things in the background. He'll do all sorts of things with mess with your head when he's coming at you. And we were the only people to kind of pick that up. I saw in the comments, like, you know, a lot of people were like, huh, you know what? I thought I was the only one that caught that. Thank you guys for doing this. Uh, But still, no other outlets have really dabbled into it, you know. Um, But it became our biggest story of the year, which is incredible um, traffic wise. Um, And I think a lot of that is because we own the story. Yeah. And and you're saying we and and really it's a credit to you. I um, one of the things that I've struggled with just over my career there's so much to execute you know hip-hop moves so quickly there's so many things to cover between the music the news the culture so on and so forth and you know you are one of the most patient people you know you're not somebody who spends your day scrolling social media and this was true you know four and a half years ago when you listened to damn and heard a theme when everyone was busy expecting a second album based on a rumor you heard the fact that there were really two albums in it. If you play it one way and you play it another and you unpacked it hugely. And when we've, we've, we've talked about that and there's a phenomenal article on the site that you authored, you're saying we, you know, a lot of people just kind of wanted to see the pageantry of the show. Are they slapping hands? Are they doing this? What's the lighting? What's the song? Who are the guests? And you picked up on something really interesting. And what's, what's fascinating about this to me too is, you know, you and I spoke about the Kanye West Drink Champs episode and our difference of opinion on what the immediate headline was. What's the story here? You know, and I was more in favor of what he had to say about Common or, you know, Just Blaze. You know, I was kind of running for the controversies there and you focused in on the Drake thing. And Drake is a very curious artist with our audience. You know, I would say that AFH is one of the sites that really represents, quote unquote, real hip hop. You know, we cover the culture, the music bars, our legends. Um, and Drake, you know, is a very polarizing figure. And when we shared this on our on our platforms and we put it on the site, it wasn't 
you know, a, a grand slam off the gate. This was an inside the park home run, which if you're a baseball fan is often more impressive, you know, but you saw this and really saw the opportunity. And over time there were, you know, quite a number of people out there that were curious about this and they found a home for the thought in the article. And if I may add something since then, um, Amazon Prime's broadcast, they have removed the Drake parts apart from Kanye and Drake performing forever, which may be a legality issue. But to me, Drake performing so many songs on Certified Lover Boy, which is coming out on OVO. It's not a cash money album. It's, it's very much his album. I know it releases through UMG, um, which is the same parent company as, as Kanye's catalog through Def Jam. I have to believe that there is more to play at here. And I don't think we've seen the last of it but I'm going to give you credit, you know, as spotting the first of it. Yeah, man. Listen, like uh, my background is I used to work with music rights and, you know, getting stuff cleared for, for broadcasts. And I'm going to say, I don't think that this is just a legality issue. You know, Amazon has got plenty of money to clear these songs for as long as they want. It's not like Drake's songs are going to be harder to clear than Kanye's songs. Um, they clear them for the broadcast. And typically what will happen is if you're only going to clear it for live, you'll do it for live plus 24 hours or something like that. It was up for longer than that. It was up for like um, 36, 40 hours. Uh, but then, you know, we, we brought the story and all of a sudden it goes down and, you know, Kanye pays attention to these things. I have no doubt that somewhere it got to him. And, you know, we talked about it that even he after the show, they weren't like embracing and like, you know, lovey dovey and like hand slapping. It's definitely not a love fest when they got off. Um, so I'm not saying that we're directly responsible, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, people caught when they're like, oh, shit, like this is true. This dude really did throw shade. And they say, no, nah, I'm not having it, you know, so um yeah, this one was great for me. It's a reason why I think both you and I always want to have a voice in, in this culture because we, we try to be thoughtful, try to be bring different perspective and different angles to things. We try and support it in fact so that we're not, um, you know, just speculating and, and, and doing things that are wildly opinionated. And I think that the comments and the, the traffic itself um, reflect the fact that people see some merit in it. So, you know, um, it, even if it's wrong, I think that we presented a pretty compelling case for why it might be the case. Yeah, very well said. And, and you and I, I mean, I've had a few people this year, you know, we've put more articles back on the site. We do a podcast most weeks out of the year. And, you know, we put out an article in March of 2020 that, you know, AFH was dead and hip hop lives. And more importantly, you know, that that you and I were going through changes and and just what we wanted to do with our time but i think of it you know can't leave rap alone the game needs us and we've really and it's it's been one of my great joys of the pandemic has been covering this culture in new and different ways and still using a site that that we've nurtured and, and sacrificed for to get out there and the number one story from well, an wait, impact before, before we get to that though i do want to say give like a 2b right because yeah. I do think that it's worth talking about that Kanye Drink Champs uh, interview in and of itself because it was okay. a moment for a long time. Um, you know, I think that beyond the Drake stuff, it was a big deal because one, it was kind of Kanye's coming home. A lot of people saw, you know, a lot of people have been very conflicted about how they felt about Kanye over the last several years, especially given his association with Donald Trump and wearing the MAGA hat and things like that. Um, two, it was kind of, 
his, you know, unbridled truth. He talked a lot about his money. He talked about uh, the impact of, of the Yeezys. He talked about, um, you know, what was happening in the community and like, you know, things that like, you know, taking, you know, or, but the arrests and war on drugs and things like that have removed a, a generation of, of young black leaders. Like he talked a lot about a lot of things very, very openly. Um, and it was just a, and it's something that you and I haven't found surprising because, and we talked about this before, if you unpack Kanye's interviews, he says a lot of interesting very smart things uh, a lot of times, but they always get overshadowed by the salacious headlines uh, or the low hanging fruit, shall we say. Um, So for us, it wasn't a surprise, but it was the first time a lot of people sat down and paid attention to Kanye in in that way. And so it was a big moment. And it's also like a true hip hop platform. And, you know, but but that's also not surprising either, right? Like Kanye has always been kind to drink champ. I mean, to um, sway in the morning, to Breakfast Club, uh, you know, uh, those have been some of his biggest interviews and Drink Champs is that place now. And so they deserve that that look. And so it's not surprising to me that he was on there, too. But any other thoughts about that interview? No, I mean, I think it, it absolutely was the most important interview, um, you know, and, and, and one of the biggest of the year. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. You know, Kanye is very deliberate, but at times scattered in his thoughts. And I think that he has been for a number of years. But absolutely. And I'm so glad that um, that was his first stop. And and thus far, it's been his last stop. You know, when we look at Donda and we look at this time and season, which includes the Drake, you know, concert and whatever may come of it. This is how we document those times. And and I do I do believe, you know, Kanye is very Internet savvy. I've heard over the years, you know, I I know for a fact he's, he's read different things that I've wrote written um you know these guys dre dre too fred Reck, you know one of dre's producers used to say you know dre's always reading the websites trying to see what's going on and yeah i i i have a theory that on the kanye tip you may have shown something to his camp that they didn't necessarily realize was there at the time but you know time will tell and this is very much still an active story where so number one um uh, it, it's, it's, it's always the number one story of the year for us. And unfortunately, um, you know, it, it deals with losses in hip hop and we had a, a bunch this year, but you, you want to talk about those? Yeah. I mean, this, this is, this is no surprise, but I have never seen, um, so much death within the hip hop community and within the culture that we cover as 2021, and you know even down to this weekend as as we'll discuss but um yeah i mean it's just like every and it it happened in bursts too you know there were times where you know people would pass away the same weekend or within 24 hours of each other and from a litany of causes litany of different pockets of hip-hop but i'm just gonna say you know um some of the names and and then i I think we, we can talk about a few too but um you know black rob uh, UTFO's Kangol Kid this very weekend, Hub from The Roots, The Bassist, uh, Double K from People Under the Stairs, Black Alicious member, Gift of Gab, obviously Young Dolph. I know we learned of it. It happened in 2020, but we learned literally in the closing hours of 2020, but MF Doom, uh, the Fat Boys Prince Marky D, aka Mark Morales, Chimudu, the hip-hop photographer, writer Greg Tate, uh, Caution member Gonzo, Zionized Zombie, and I'm going to say some other names that are important to our community too. producer, Chucky Thompson from Puff Daddy's Hitmen, 
uh, actor Michael K. Williams, comedian A.J. Johnson, and obviously comedian Paul Mooney. And the tragic fact is those names that I mentioned um, right there are, are not everyone, but there were three really, um, and not to, not to rank or, but, you know, the loss of Bismarck E. I mean, just for a second, you know, that was, that was somebody who over the recent years we knew was ill, but I don't think any of us expected him to pass when it happened. Um, and, you know, a hip hop legend, and I know it's become a cliche, but I don't think Biz lived to receive his flowers. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, you know, he had refashioned his career over time, was a great DJ, a phenomenal DJ. I attended some of the parties he did. Always great. Um, he's, a, he's a guy who always was positive, always cracking jokes, making a smile, trying to make people laugh. Nickname was the cr- clown prince of hip hop. You know, um, you know, we saw that versus with, with, with Kane and, you know, there's no doubt that Biz would have been there had he been alive. You know, um, that was just a huge loss for hip hop. And, you know, he's a guy who should have been on Drink Champs. And like, you know, um, you know, you could see those things coming for him. So, yeah, absolutely. That was a loss that seemed like we, he was snatched, um, you know, as all these people were um, before, before his time. Most definitely. And then another that, that happened was Shock G from Digital Underground. And, you know, I think, it's, I think it's really important to look at, you know, Shock's musical contributions. Digital Underground is a group that doesn't get the props that they deserve. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, they've got histories in Oakland and Tampa, Florida, like places that are not New York and L.A., they were on Tommy Boy, you know, they weren't on necessarily like Def Jam or, or Universal, they weren't on a big label and, but they were some of the first uh, artists that brought funk into hip hop the way that they did. And you go back and listen to those albums, especially the early ones, and they hold up so well. And Shock G was like a sly stone. I mean, he was the musical mastermind behind it all. And I mean, literally had aliases like George Clinton, you know, most of the time he was Humpty. And then you look at the butterfly effect of shock. And if we don't have a shock, I'm not sure that we get Tupac the way that we do. And, you know, Digital Underground gave Tupac an opportunity to make some of those connections and eventually, you know, step up to the mic and then do all that he did with it. And you and I spoke on, a, on an episode of shock as a producer, as a performer, as a thinker, um, you know, a real mystic journeyman of hip hop. And, you know, that, that happened just a few weeks, just a few days, really, after what I think a lot of people were most shocked by in 2021, which was the death of DMX. Yeah, you know, um, before we get to DMX, I want to talk a little bit more about Shock G because he connects so many of the things we've been talking about, right? So um, you, you mentioned Tupac and he produced I Get Around and um, So Many Tears, some of like Tupac's most impactful songs. Uh, when you think about mainstream hip hop and its legacy, um, you know, Shock G and Digital Underground did Humpty Dance, which was a breakout hit and gigantic across the boards. That was a, 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 a pop charts success when hip hop was not hitting the pop charts. And then when you think about Clown Prince and people injecting humor and levity into hip hop, you know, Humpty Hump was something that, uh, you know, we'd never seen. We'd never seen a dude in costume like that and, like, you know, just just having a good time and making it fun like the, the original days of hip-hop. And so, you know, Shock G just brought so much to hip-hop that, like you said, was underappreciated. 
but the legacy is is immense and uh you know gigantic and so yeah with that um the loss that i think um that really sent real shock waves you know across the globe was dmx and um and i know dmx is very important to you um so you want to talk about that yeah i mean i i you know i often believe some of the most important music in your life comes out when you're, you know, between like 12 and, and 15, 16. And my age falls into that. I mean, I remember being in um, junior high into high school when he had the two album year of, you know, it's dark and hell is hot and flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. And DMX, you know, after the death of Tupac, there was a certain hardness that wasn't coming on MTV or BET, you know, of just gruff, you know, rugged rap aesthetics and x brought that you know he carried on but he made it his own and over time you know to watch x transition that into the early 2000s album after album what he represented so much heart so much authenticity such an underdog i mean literally he represented that and was able to you know rock on the same tracks as jay-z as method man as red man you know, he's such an important artist. And I, I know that, you know, one of the bigger themes on our site over the last five, seven years has been DMX's comeback. You know, Swizz, Swizz Beats has been a champion of that. And throughout the years has always said, you know, X is working. He's with these producers. He's doing this. We're getting him in the proper situation for this and that. And really um, in early 2021, late 2020, that came to the light. Like, we knew that X is, you know, he's back on Def Jam. He did the GQ interview last year. Things were starting to come together. His sobriety seemed like it was in a really good place. And, you know, again, like sort of like what we were saying, we're, we're, we're at a time in hip hop where, you know, Jay-Z can be treated, looked at differently than he was when he was in his 30s. You know, we can look at Dre differently. We can look at Master Ace or Royce or, you know, whomever differently, Nas. And I felt like X was poised for a comeback and he got very close. And obviously in early, um, in early April, we learned that, you know, he was rushed to the hospital and being hospitalized. And that was a story. Again, it was one of those things where, you know, I was in the middle of traveling across country driving and I, I literally pulled over because that is as important as anything, you know, to let our readers know that, you know, one of their heroes is, is suffering and, you know, some days later, we, we got the news and, and you actually reported his passing. And it was just, I, I will never, you know, like Nipsey, like Pac, you know, like Jam Master Jay, that's one of those things you will remember where you were when you learned that DMX had passed. Absolutely. I went by the hospital a couple of times and sent some prayers his way, you know, when he was there for that week. And, you know, I think the heart, you know, a lot of times it's really the hardest when you see that a person is on the brink of something, you know, something new, adding another chapter. And, you know, X was on Drink Champs and, you know, Swiss Beats had been talking about the album. We got the ultimate product and it was a great album. And so we know that, that he, had, he probably would have been on tour and he had a lot more coming, um, you know, and, you know, similar to Young Dolph, like this guy who's making moves in the community and, and building wealth and, and a label and empire, you know, potentially going to change an entire community. You know, that was why, uh, you know, Nipsey was so upsetting is, you know, similar kind of themes. And so it's a huge loss, you know, X in his prime, um, you know, represented so many things. And, you know, on the one hand, like you said, he brought New York back. 
Um, and New York had been back with Puff after like, you know, the in Bad Boy after like uh, really being kind of taken over by the West Coast for a while. But X brought that like hard scrabble, you know, like, you know, grit back that, you know, had fueled New York rap for so long. But at the same time, he also fused elements of West Coast. And a lot of people compared him to Pac. And, you know, besides the look, I don't think they were that similar in terms of their music, their production. But in terms of the, the things that they said and the way that they said it, um, you know, talking about pain and, and pleasure and, you know, uh, being prophets and really speaking their souls. I think that that was a connection they shared. And so, you know, DMX was uh, the guy who represented an entire generation. And, you know, when you lose that person, like you said, who really kind of represents your coming of age, it's different. It's a different level of pain. And that was, that was the case for me with Prince, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, DMX was definitely a, a huge loss for, for folks this year, you know? Most definitely. So, you know, just to let people inside the kitchen, just for a few stories, you know, a lot of what we just shared, but, you know, we did decide to share some of our bigger traffic wins from what we share on the site which again is, you know, a few stories a week, um, sometimes not if there's nothing to say, but, you know, Ambrosia for Heads, we, we really try to volu- value our readers' time. And um, there were some, some interesting things that transpired this year that are worth just in, in passing mentioning. Do you want to kick it off? Yeah, I think we'll just go down the list for this one. Like, you know, it's also yeah. interesting to me because we're a very um, social media driven site. You know, a lot of our um, activity comes from Facebook, um, you know, some on Instagram and other platforms too. But, you know, I, I think when people actually click through, it shows the true level of interest beyond just the likes that you get. And it's not always the same. It's not, not always the same that the, the stories that are most liked or reach the most people on social media are the biggest stories in traffic. But we'll go through these relatively quickly there. You know, we talked about a lot of them in the, yeah. the cultural impact, but there are some ones that stand out and I think really help to kind of fill out the story for uh, the year in hip hop for AFH readers, especially. So number 10 was Griselda um, made a sequel to Mob Deep's um, a Mob Deep classic. Um, and uh, which hell remember, on earth. Yeah. Hell on earth. Right. Um, Griselda. So has been a gigantic story for us this year and the last two or three years. So West Side Gun, Conway the Machine, and Benny the Butcher. Seemingly anything we post of Griselda related is is definitely doing numbers. And so it wouldn't be right to talk about 2021 without mentioning them. And this was just, you know, uh, every once in a while we'll do a, a post just to kind of draw people in and, and um, showcase a song, but also um, let them know about the existence of our playlist, which uh, we think is a great reflection of where hip hop is today, current hip hop and the, the amazing music that, that comes out regularly. And this was, this is one we did, you know, pretty low, low effort, but it was gigantic. And I know you posted it. Were you skeptical at first about it? Like, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, uh, I thought the record was really interesting. It was one that, that comes over time, you know, you listen more and you like it more. And I think that this people, this one draws people in because, um, you know, I'll say West Side Gun, I think, is a polarizing figure less and less to people. But I think when he burst on the scene and, it, you know, he burst on the scene 10 plus years ago, but around 2016, 17, 18, 19, when he really started leveling up, there were, you know, devoted hip hop heads that were in his fan club. And there were folks that were skeptical because I think as Wes himself has said, 
he doesn't always approach things to bar you to death. A lot of times he sets the stage with, with vibe. So to watch a new crew come in and pay homage and make a sequel to a Mob Deep record, and obviously, you know, Prodigy is no longer with us. Mob Deep is held in the highest. It draws people in. And I think Griselda more than delivered. And you're absolutely right. When we cover these guys collectively or individually, it, it usually reflects an impact in numbers on the site. But one of the things that I like that we do is all three of those guys are very prolific. So when we cover them, we really try to find the narratives and the best material. And this delivered. And there was a lot of context to it, you know. Um, and it, 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 it did well. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Anything you want to add? No, no, that, that's it. I think you captured it. You know, so number nine, no surprise, you know, it was the passing of Black Rob. Um, and uh, the next wave is, is really a lot about the losses that we mentioned before. Number eight is DMX's new album coming um, and it being filled with superstars. That was obviously a, a reflection of people mourning the loss of, of X, but I think it's worth talking about Exodus for a minute. Um, you know, that album was entirely produced by Swiss Beats. Uh, it was a, a, a reunion of those guys. That they've, they've constantly worked together over the years, but they had not worked together as extensively uh, in many, many years. And Exodus was was definitely like a star-studded type affair. Um, you know, just some of the artists that it had on it were, um, you know, so we had Snoop, we had The Locks, we had Jay-Z, Nas, Lil Wayne, um, Alicia Keys, Bono, West Side Gun, Benny and Conway from Griselda, as we said. Um, there was a song with um, Usher. Yeah, mentioned Snoop. And then Money Bag Yo, that one was um, interesting. That was a last minute replacement for Pop Smoke. Um, apparently that verse had gotten leaked on, a, on an album before that. But the album, you know, is, is Grammy nominated, not for album of the year, but a, a song. Um, but yeah, people were really, really excited by the anticipation of, of what that album was going to bring. And, and the, the track list was a huge one. Number seven oh, was Shock oh, um, yeah. G. Uh, passing away from Digital Underground. We talked about that. Six was X's, uh, the announcement of his overdose. Um, you want to go five through one? Yeah, sure. Uh, number five, which we ex- which we alluded to, was DJ Scratch explains the tension at the Big Daddy Kane and KRS-One versus. Um, you know, that was, again, important bookend context to something that a lot of people tuned in on but probably didn't necessarily catch. And we had discussed... Um, we mentioned a moment ago, but Busta Rhymes VMA performance is a drop the mic moment back in September. Number three, Bone Thugs and Harmony and Three Six Mafia clash with fight during Versus. That was in December. And uh, yeah, we followed it up, like I said, with some more context once it was available from Busy and DJ Paul. Um, number two, DMX has passed away at age 50. You know, that was the story. And just this week, um, the home run call that I alluded to, as, as you said last week, Drake dissed Kanye West throughout their concert. Yeah, it's crazy to me that, you know, we talked about this before. You know, we almost did this wrap up a couple of weeks ago. And if we had done it, we would have missed the Dr. Dre album. We would have missed the, the Kanye Drake concert, like all that stuff. It's, it's wild. But the year end, you know, people go hard all the way through the end of the year now. So I'm glad we waited for this, even if it has less traction. I think it tells a more complete story of what the year is. But it's wild to me that a story we did less than a week ago is already the biggest one of the year traffic wise. Yeah. 
that was wild. And a lot of that was, again, people on the internet, you know, curious, saw something, wanted a place to see what others had to say and probably get some more information on it. And it's, and once you see it, it's something you want to show somebody else. What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah. So, so last oh, but not least, um, you know, so AFH, we started off as a site. We've got a really robust social media presence. We've now got Spotify, but the podcast is relatively new. And it's something that we started a year and a half ago or so um, in the midst of the pandemic. You know, the lockdown was was terrible for a lot of us for a lot of reasons, but it also yielded a lot of really amazing things, including verses, which we've talked about a lot here. And for us, you and I, the, the podcast and so um, a lot of the themes in the podcast were overlapped with the stories we talked about before. But one thing, a couple things that, I, that we want to mention um, that fall outside of that is uh, another huge moment for hip hop on the AFH um, scope was the beef between, or I'm not even going to say beef, the, the back and forth between Royce Five Nine, Lupe Fiasco, Mickey Fax, Ransom, um, RJ Payne. <laughs> 38 special, uh, 38 special. Yeah. yeah, a few, quite a few people were embroiled in a back and forth, and it was really about just, just straight up lyricism. Like, who, who is that guy? Who's that, that spitter? Who can do it the best? And so we did a breakdown of that, and I think it was one of the more comprehensive ones out there, uh, where we really recap not just the music that was being released, but also. Um, the the Instagram, uh, you know, conversations that were happening, really trying to flesh out the full story. And um, that was one of our biggest podcasts of the year, too. I think it was like number three was was our breakdown of, of, of that. And then we did we had a great interview with, with Mickey Fax and Blue, where Mickey talked about that, too. Mickey released, I think, the best rec disc record of the year and one of the best disc, disc records I've ever heard in my life. I still listen to this day and marvel at it. Wraith is an incredible, incredible work. Like just the lyricism and saying the references, if you truly understand the context and nuances and all the things that happen, he brings so many things into that record. Uh, and if you understand like his opponent Royce and, and everything that he brings to the table, his style, He's doing impersonations of R.J. Payne and Ransom in their style. He's talking pop culture references. He's got double on. It's just he checked a lot of boxes. And, <laughs> and if you if you kept up with this whole thing, you understand what that means. But that was really incredible. That was that. And that was just pure, unadulterated hip hop. So that, that was actually one of my favorite like um, events of the year. And that's something that goes on the radar when you talk about traffic numbers and overall cultural impact but in our circles the impact of that can't be um can't be underestimated yeah and the whole you know again i don't want to use the word beef either but the whole brouhaha uh you know a lot of it happened on ig live a lot of it happened in these two and three hour conversations and you and i tried to create a podcast that that presented a timeline and really you know opined on your part and mine of who was in the right who was in the wrong or what not even that but but what the cause and reactions of each and then to have mickey who supported our podcast and said you know you guys really broke it down to then talk to a primary source was really interesting and i, I totally agree with that one yeah we also got to have some great interviews this year um you know 
uh, among them was um, we got Sata Az, and that's an interview that was probably four years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for about his Do or Die Two album, which is a great project. Got to talk to Joel Ortiz about his the autograph album. Joel gave us one of the, you know, it's just a great conversation, like incredible insights. Um, we got to talk to Sky Zoo. That was amazing. Um, you know, we, we talked to um, um, T. Dot Eric, yeah, uh, which is great. We've, we've had some really evidence, yeah, evidence, I mean, evidence, evidence, incredible interview, you know. Um, corrupt. We've had some good ones. Yeah, corrupt. Yeah, some great, great interviews this year. So, you know, we encourage people to check those out. And then um, I think last is Jay Z. So, you know, Jay Z, we talked about his cultural impact with the Super Bowl. But he also made and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but he also made waves in the business tip with the sale of his stake in um, Armagnol uh, de Briac or, you know, whatever. Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades and and Duce. And then also Tidal, um, you know, and so we kind of broke down those transactions and speculated as to what Jay might have used the capital for going forward. Um, But I think that really showcased you know, us talking about uh, hip hop in a business since we did that with De La Soul too, and um, the repurchase of their catalog and ultimately allowing them to be on DSPs. And that, that should be coming soon too. But it's been a lot, it's been a fun year in that regard too. Yeah. My man Slav hit me and he was like, yo, you guys ever talk about NFTs? And we have a few times, but that Jay-Z episode, you and I kind of forecast why Jay-Z is very focused on intellectual property right now. And you know, kind of the things that go beyond the music that are part of his career and those around him. And I'm really proud of that episode, too. That was um, really good. And we've we've spent a lot of time over the last few years in, in a similar way talking about Nas and how he's leveled up. So um, there's some really good business discussions. Um, you mentioned the day law as well as the music. But yeah. as, we, as we talk about music, it's the perfect segue, man. I mean, every year we we tend to look back and, and you and I each year, I think, feel sometimes that lists mean less and less, and we talk about that. But we're here because of the music before all else, you know, and that's one of the things that I love. I love seeing a Griselda song up there with anything that's salacious or tragic. You know, I like the music to always be present. Um, so I want to talk to you. We're both going to speak about it, our favorite albums of the year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's not a ranking, at least for me. Uh, it might be for you. I'm curious about that. Yeah. But um, we're going to just go through our top 10 real quick. And each of us have different top 10s. I think there's a ton of overlap, though, as a look at it. So um, why don't you kick it off? Why don't you go through yours first? Absolutely. Um, I'm going to say this about that, as my Uncle Dan likes to say. I, for me, this year, I look back and, and the top five was very clear to me throughout you know, that was very easy to determine. A top 10 was a little bit harder. So I'm going to start, and this is actually ranked just for me. And I'm, you know, I do this just as a reminder to keep listening to these albums and really kind of go back and see what my favorites are. Um, And number five was Makami with Pray for Haiti. Um, You know, we did a mid-year back in June or July where we spoke about the best works up until this point. And you have gone hard in the paint for this album since about, a week after it was out. I think when it first came, you might've been busy, but you were the one that was in my ear of how great this was. And I, um, in the second half of 2021, this LP is just really impressed upon me. 
Um, I think it's a great body of work within the Griselda catalog, and that was sort of a homecoming for him. Um, what a phenomenal artist, an intricate lyricist, a great producer, um, you know, did a dope feature in GQ that I, I've been reading, and it's cool to learn a little bit more about the man behind the, uh, the, the flag, so to speak. But I think that's a, a true body of work for him. Um, your, your favorite songs on that are the same as mine, so I'll, I'll wait for you on that. Um, Sky Zoo, all the brilliant things. Um, we had Sky on the show, one of my favorite conversations. I think Sky is incredibly consistent. And despite me saying that, I think this is his best body of work. Uh, he made an album two or three years ago with Pete Rock, Retropolitan, that you and I got really behind. It was on our best of list for that year. Um, and obviously, you do something with Pete Rock, it, it's going to have a level of quality on it. And I think that they were very much like a MERS and Ninth Wonder, like an equal billing there. This is Sky on his own. Um, and it's an album very much themed around gentrification, uh, specifically of Brooklyn, and how this place that Sky has loved and referenced in so many of his lyrics is changing and how that's his own past and identity changing and his role as a son, as a father. It's a really dense, beautiful album. Um, bed is yeah. burning. Oh, go ahead. And I'm going to chime in too. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm, so for the ones that we were overlap, I'm just going to chime in too. So, um, so just going back to my comedy real quick, um, the, the favorite songs we talked about were no blood, no sweat, Marie and the stellar Ray theory. I got to say stellar Ray theory might be the song that I played the most all year. Like, um, you know, the thing that I love about Makami is, first of all, his voice is so distinctive and his deadpan delivery, you know, reminds me a lot of like uh, Boldy James, like just like it's emotionless, but it's also merciless and just conveys so much, you know, uh, Rock Marcy's a bit like that, too. But, you know, the guy's wordplay is just so incredible. He's next level brilliant in terms of like his references and things like that. And Stellar Ray Theory, I mean, he'll, he'll even talk about stuff like, you know, tell Ghazi I build my own empire. Like, you know, for if you know underground hip hop and you understand that empire is like kind of like the universal music group of underground hip hop, basically. And, you know, heading that up is Ghazi. Uh, like, you know, he makes references like that, that if you know you know, oh, shit, this dude is on a different level. And for most people, it just goes over the top, the, you know, over their head. But incredible incredible and i think since he's teamed up with griselda like boldy james um his music has only gotten better um and for sky uh you know not only is it thematically incredible and he's another dude and he's talked about this a lot in his interview where you got to listen to his music over and over again and the stuff you'll catch years later because the references are so dense and you really have to understand what he's talking about to get it but on top of that, it's just such a sonically beautiful album. Like he picks so many incredible jazz samples and things like that, that just, it's, it just is a beautiful album. I, I listened to it again today and like, there's just so many songs. I could have filled the playlist with like eight different joints from this, but incredible, incredible album. Sorry, go. Yeah, no, no, just a, just a, a true benchmark in his catalog and um, something that I will come back to to listen for the rest of my life. Number three is an artist that I continue to be excited about, Lute, uh, with his album Goldmouth. And Lute, you know, is definitely part of the Dreamville family, was on Revenge of the Dreamers 3. But I often think, like, you know, <laughs> Lute sometimes gets lost in the sauce when people talk about Dreamville and they get really excited about Earth Gang and Jid and obviously J. Cole and Boss. But Lute, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina MC, 
um, makes incredible, incredible music. And, you know, this album um, has a lot of soul to it. And, you know, he had started piecing out singles in 2020 with like Getting Every Dollar, the GED record, which I think the minute I sent it to you, you know, last year, you're like, boom, playlist. Like, we love that record mutually. Um, I'm also a fan of the other single, Myself with Devin. Um, and then he makes these songs that, you know, deal with relationship. Like, and, and I know that sometimes in hip hop, those are the records that we tend to skip over sometimes. I thought Joel Ortiz in his conversation with us, you know, he talked about writing a verse that he put on his album that he used literally as his wedding vows. Um, I, I really appreciate well done love rap records and uh, Ghetto Love by Lute with Black Soul and Ari Lennox is that's the joint too. And I love, you know, Dreamville's had a big year as we're going to talk about in a second, but I know that's an album you really like too. Yeah, man. I, I love, uh, so, so Dreamville, I think Dreamville and TDE to me are the two best collectives uh, out of the 2010s. Um, you know, boss, I love, you don't hear enough about him. Um, you know, earth gang, um, JID, I think is an exceptional talent. In fact, I don't know that there's more, I haven't heard a, an MC with more talent since maybe Kendrick, you know, um, you know, I think he's up there. Uh, he's up there. Anderson pack, pack level artistry, you know, he can do a lot. And I still think he's waiting for his breakout moment. I think he's going to be gigantic and or I hope he can be all that being said, Luke might be my favorite MC on Dreamville. Um, of cause too but like he might be my his voice there's something so penetrating about it and um you know everything he's put out i've been a huge fan of and it, it, it took me a while you you loved this album before i did uh and in fact it wasn't until today that it really made my top 10 but in listening to it there's undeniable greatness and it's an album that i'm going to spend time with i can tell like over time and that's that's criteria for me for for, salute, for selecting these in general is will i go back to them beyond this year and this is a lean back album i mean i think that's true of sky and mock mock as well but you can play lute's album in the car you can play it as you're cooking dinner cleaning your house it it just works and it's a versatile album it's all killer no filler but you know, he didn't chase a hit, you know, there's, it's not a bar you to death album. It's very much like an introspective joint. And in 2021, which, you know, with all the death, all the tragedy, all the confusion that we've all gone through, it's a, it's a worthy piece. So for me, my number two album, um, I want you to talk about it. Cause I think you've, you've, you've gone really, really hard for this record. We've, we, we did an entire podcast episode to it. Um, but it's J. Cole's The Off Season. And I know that that's very, very high on your list, too. Yeah, Cole, you know, it might be my number one. It's really tough. Uh, but, but Cole did it again. You know, KOD was my favorite album of that year by far. I think it was 2018. And, um, you know, 20, ever since 2014, Forest Hills, like he's been on a, a can't lose kind of like um, streak for me. But The Off Season, you know, was Cole returning back to mixtape form. This to me was a mixtape in disguise. It was more polished. Uh, it had bigger hits, but it was Cole having fun. He wasn't tied to one theme like he was on KOD, uh, you know, um, but different production styles. He had tons of bars. He had guest features for the first time in a long time. This was Cole being free, but also being like surgical and an assassin in what he was trying to accomplish 
you know, and he, he rolled it out in the same kind of great way that he has um, the last couple of albums. He did a film, like a 14 minute documentary, really showcasing where he was, how he got to this place. He did a freestyle with LA leakers. It's one of the best freestyles of the year. Yeah. Um, and then he released the album and he had songs like my life, um, you know, which is incredible uh, with, um, with Moray and 21 Savage. He had a hundred mil. He incorporates trap sounds, but does it in a way that that he owns it. He's not like, you know, clout chasing or trying to be, you know, like the younger artists. Um, the Climb Back was one of the songs that he released previously, but fits really well and got great um, lyricism to it. Pride is the Devil is a departure for him. He's singing. Uh, it's got a reggae feel to it. Um, you know, very different sound for for him. And then I think maybe the song that will stand out the most is Let Go My Hand. He's talking about, you know, himself growing up. He's talking about being a father now and raising his son and seeing the parallels and the things he's trying to do for his son to make him a better man than he is. Um, he talks about his altercation with Puff, Puff Daddy, um, and, you know, how foolish that is when he looks back on it. Um, and But then he has Puff himself like do a prayer like at the end of it, just as so deep, you know, uh, and those are just feels. This one of those albums where I can literally play front to back. It's not overly long. The artwork is iconic with him, you know, standing in front of a, a basketball hoop that's on fire. Like just thematically, everything about this album, I love. Yeah, I mean, J. Cole is building a Hall of Fame catalog, and 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 that's not a new development. But I'm very much pulling. Um, for this album and the upcoming Grammy Awards, I would like to see Cool as we talk about the mainstream, you know, embrace of hip hop. We dedicated a whole episode to it on What's the Headline. You know, J. Cole is the Tim Duncan of hip hop. I want to see Cool get, you know, his 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 Friday Night Lights, you know, in the mainstream. So, and and I know to a large degree he already has. My definitive number one album of this year, and it's funny in 2018. KOD came out and evidence from Dilated Peoples and Step Brothers released whether or not. And those two albums were, were very close, you know, and, and I think that was the same year as Royce's Book of Ryan, those three. Um, here we are again, 2021, and evidence did it again for me. He put out an album called The Unlearning, Volume One. Um, it's Ev's first deviation from the Weatherman series with a full length. And the Weatherman series goes from 2007 to 2018 so this is a new chapter in ev and and a lot of those qualities that i love in evidence's music and and really always have even with dilated um they're there i mean he's rapping like it's an a and b conversation kind of venting his innermost true innermost truths but there's a lot of wordplay there's a lot of um kind of just truthisms you know the, these cool kind of like you know just gems for your life and i really like this album a lot of it is self-produced but he also brought in you know his stepbrother alchemist he brought in knots he um you know there's a really really dope team around it and all of that said you know when spotify sent out their raps that was my most listened to song this year which is the collaboration with boldy james came out before the album um just really an incredible record incredible production Lost in Time, Park Jams, that, that's another highlight for me, which is, again, Ev looking at his life, looking at not being able to sleep, a lot of the traumas that he's faced, um, you know, being a, a hyper-talented artist, being a 25-year rap veteran, 
who I don't think necessarily gets his props, but also has built a really nice career out of, you know, his hip hop ability. And then a song that you and I, I mean, we spoke to Ev about it, and it's one that, you know, speaks a lot to 2021, Taylor Made Suit, which is a song that he says, my wedding suit is the same as my funeral suit. And, you know, Ev talks about it on the album. He spoke about it on his last album. He lost his, his partner and the mother of his, his, um, his son to cancer. And it is as vulnerable and a personal record as you're going to get. Um, and it, it's, you feel like you're having a conversation with somebody. And this album, it's just got a lot of range and depth to it. He's got Conway on there. Um, it's an album that I just kept coming back to. I, Spotify told me I'm in the 1% of evidence's uh, most listened to fans and, and maybe I'm biased, but I think he continues to make the best work in his career. Yeah. I bet I'm in that 1% too, because if there's any album, if it's not Cole, it's this one um, for me at, at, at the very top, it's the one I've listened to the most and, you know, co-sign everything you said, evidence is just about truth. Um, I think those are the albums that resonate the most with me. That's why Sky Zoo does too. And, and you know, all these artists that we, we've talked about, but he goes so deep and he even talks about like the fact that, you know, people question how, why he's so honest on his records and say that it might be holding him back, but he doesn't care. It's his art. And, you know, I think that kind of courage, that kind of like vulnerability is what inspires us all and is what really penetrates for us. And then just musically, uh, again, just it's so incredible. There's a song. Um, um, I think it's won't give up the danger where um, he talked to us about the fact that he uses this. Uh, there's this the sample, but then there's a, another uh, version of the sample, which flips the like the, the, the chord progression. And it just it drives me crazy. It's just such an incredible usage, um, you know, but this album is amazing. And I was a big fan of, of the last album too, but this one I, I, I like even better. This guy, um, there, there's nothing he has done in the last like 10 years that I haven't just loved. So yeah, incredible album. So I went pretty hard on my top five and, and I, I do have others and, and they're really echoed in yours, but talk to me about some of the albums on your top 10 list. Yeah. So uh, some of the ones we haven't discussed yet are, um, West Side Gun, um, you know, we'll, we'll say Hermes 8, size A and B. Uh, it might be a bit of a cheat because some people consider these as two different albums. I, I consider it as one because he himself has spoken about it as being a double album, even, even though he released it uh, over the course of a, a few weeks. And I think that's a smart tactic on his, his, his part because, you know, our attention spans are short now. Um, he's able to do different artwork. Um, yeah, it might be advantageous with the, the, the streaming platforms and the algorithms too, but I think that, you know, he's just an incredibly genius marketer and strategist when it comes to music and he put out a lot of great, um, songs. So, you know, for me, hell on earth, part two, um, Draymond right now, survivor series 95 and Oster tag and, and stove got cooks. Um, gets a really prominent role on side B, especially. And I think, you know, so you and I both talked about his album last year that made a lot of people's year and lists, a lot of kind of like um, tastemaker type um, yeah. publications. It did not do it for us, but, you know, for this one, having him on, you know, guns beats really opened up his sound for me and what he brings to the table. So I thought that was dope. 
so West Side Gun is a big one for me. Um, that's been in heavy rotation and obviously is, you know, big staple with on the, the, the Spotify playlist yeah. that we have. Um, a recent addition. Um, and another thing we would have missed had we done this a couple weeks ago was Dr. Dre's The Contract. You know, that is just a, I think it's six songs. Uh, I think it's may, maybe people are still mining it. It's either five or six songs. Um, so it's not a full album. It's more of an EP. But the track list is sick. He's got Rick Ross. He's got Snoop. He's got Busta. He's got Eminem. Um, you know, Nipsey Hussle. Just a, an incredible lineup on it. Um, co-production with The Alchemist and, you know, a bunch of other folks. But, you know, songs like ETA, his, his, his joint with Busta and Snoop um, and Anderson Pack, who we didn't even mention, uh, real soulful and the interplay between them, you know, where one person will start rapping, another person will finish. And it does that across like, you know, three different artists, four different artists when you include Dre. It's Dre rapping. And like, dude, I don't know if you um, I'm, I'm listening for the Ghost Riders because we all know Dre yeah. doesn't write his raps and. Dude, I I think Feral Monch might have had. I hear a lot of Feral Monch in there. Um, you know, we know the DOC is involved with it, but I'm I'm trying to because there's there's some cadences that are really familiar to me, but super dope. Mm-hmm. But also him kicking things that are very very true to who Dr. Dre is. So clearly, these are people who sat with him, who've studied him, who've interviewed him. Whatever they're doing, they're really tapping into his life. Um, but the flows are sick. Diamond Mind, you mentioned the song with Nipsey is great. Um, that's the one that's um, um, and then Gospel is is the one with um, is with with Eminem and and that's that's fantastic too. One of the better M and Drake collaborations in a long time. And you got DOC rapping on it, which was really cool. We pointed that out on the site, and DOC retweeted it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love I love to see that. That's again a callback to Dre's legacy and. Yeah, I wondered the same thing, and I really hope that we can get high-quality versions of this to the DSPs. I think that'll happen. I'm sure there's an exclusivity window with the game, but um, I do, like we said, I think we're going to get a lot more Dre music. Yeah. So another legend who 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 came back, and it's not even a comeback for him because he did it last year, too, and I know this is on both of our lists, is Nas, King Disease 2. Um, you know, so King's Disease won Best Rap Album last year. Great album, Ultra Black, one of my favorite records. Um, uh, Full Circle with The Firm, maybe my favorite record of 2020. I just, I, I just, I played that over and over and over again. And it's got um, a G Funk feel to it with that, you know, rolling bass line. Um, and like Nas, you know, talking about like, you know, I get my, bo- get my boxing trainer, he's my logic explainer, conversations and yeah. our combinations. Like, Lines like that, man, just just stick out. Um, but as good as the album was, I think King's D- Disease 2 is even better. Um, both are Hit Boy collaborations. Hit Boy produced them in full. This is not, like, I think at its finest. It's a top five Nas album for me. Um, you know, songs like The Pressure, you know, which kicks it off, um, really moody, uh, rare, Nobody, he has a verse with Lauren Hill, which is, uh, you know, in contention for verse of the year. That to me and Andre 3000's Life of the Party uh, from Kanye West's Donda. Composure is a great song where Hit Boy actually gets in the mic too. 
And then my Bible um, sounds almost like a Just Blaze production and, you know, might be my favorite track on the entire album. But that one is great. You know, Nas is now just, he, he his year has been incredible too. Another big story we didn't mention uh, was his cashing out, um, you know, with um, the uh, Coinbase investment. You know, uh, the news reports have him somewhere in the 50 to $200 million range in terms of like how he cashed out with that. In any either case, he got a huge check from that. And Nas is in his comfort zone. He yeah. produced the Rob McDaniels. Uh, you're watching video music box documentary for Mass Appeal in anticipation of the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And King's disease too, which is Nas in his back. You know, he's comfortable. He's got a great production collaborator, probably his best since large professor. And he's just doing it. So I love this album. Yeah. And you didn't even mention, I mean, EPMD too with Eminem and EPMD. Not e- yeah. And um, and that was great to see. That nobody song with Lauren is insane. I mean, to me, and, and I saw that Barack Obama put that on his annual playlist among his favorite songs, which was oh, great wow. to see. That'll bring attention to that record. But yeah, that that Death Row East. Up, yeah, that album's yeah. all up on my top 10 as well. So yeah. Yeah. So another one for me is uh, Sally and Apollo Brown. So Apollo Brown has quietly made some of my favorite albums of the last five years. You know, he's worked with uh, with um, with Joel Ortiz and Raskas and now Stally and I believe Odyssey. Right. Um, well, they've done uh, stuff together, but OC, I mean, OC, yeah. Planet Asia. Yeah. yeah, Planet Asia. Some really, really great collaborations where he'll just work with a single, uh, Shea Noir, um, yeah, work with a single album. And so the one he did this year is with Stally, who's been one of my favorite MCs of the last 10 years or so. Um, you know, I've uh, supported and worked with him in a number of levels, AFH, Music Matters. He's among the first interviews that AFH ever had back in the day. Just a great dude, um, you know, and uh, this album, Blacklight, so many joints on it. I love Apollo's like moody sample based style. He's got this technique where he'll uh, he'll mute the, the the sample and like, you know, to bring it up and down and just creates a whole vibe. And so standout songs for me are, are Blacklight, Humble Winds, which is the first uh, single I heard like just the first three or four like um, bars of that. And it was instant add to the playlist. One of my songs of the year, hands down. Incredible. Um, Love me, love me not. No monsters. We outside the realist. Just this whole album is another one of those. That's kind of unskippable to me. And like to your, your use your term it's, it's headphone rap for sure. You know, you're not going to be out dancing to it, but you listen to this in the car, like at nighttime while driving or, Rocking with headphones, you need to zone out. This this is an album to do that. Yeah, hands down. You have a um, and I I really appreciated this one too. And it's great. Um, you know, I always thought Stolly deserved more. And it's it's not a criticism of Rick Ross, but you know, he was on MMG, the other MMG, and now he's with this MMG. And it's great to um see him. I think this is his best body of work. I know. You know, you, you've been a fan of some of the early stuff, but it's great to see. It's great to see. And Apollo just continues to show range. Yeah. And the only other one I have that doesn't overlap with you. So just to recap for me, my top 10 albums in no particular order are J. Cole, The Offseason, Evidence, Unlearning, Volume 1, West Side Gun, um, Hermes, Eight Sides, A and B, Makami, Pray for Haiti, Dr. Dre, The Contract, Sky Zoo, All the Brilliant Things. 
Stally and Apollo Brown, Blacklight, Loot, Goldmouth, Nas, King's Disease 2. And the last one for me on my list is Russ, Chomp 2, another one um, that just dropped in the last couple of weeks. Um, this is an album that is a surprise to me because I've never really dug into Russ's catalog like that. You know, I've always admired his movement. I, I really like guys who are independent and like, you know, take the reins by their own hands and really make it happen for themselves, you know, without radio airplay, without necessarily even mainstream media coverage and just like really do it. And Russ is one of those dudes. He's been controversial, got a big ego, you know, um, never really like hidden that. Um, but he decided to make an album with just like true spitters. And so a lot of the people we've talked about on this podcast, either today or throughout the year, are featured on the album. It's got Ransom, Papoose. There's a, a verse from the game that I think is one of the best uh, verses the game has dropped in, in years. Styles P, Westside Gun. Jadakiss, Big Crit, Snoop, uh, Jay Electronica, Hip Boy, um, you know, Sahai the, the the Prince, Conway the Machine. Like, it's really an incredible, and, and Ghostface Killer too. Really incredible guest list. The beats are impeccable. And Russ brings his A game too. Like, he's on there to rap with these dudes and he, he holds his own, you know. And so there are a lot of joints on there that I like sheep, you know, interestingly, uh, some of my favorite songs, are the ones that he's just doing by himself, sheep kicks it off yeah. and very personal song. Um, a, a tremendous salute, free hustler, freestyle distance, get it like all songs that I think, but you know, this is another album where I can just go front to back and, you know, I'll be really light. Mozzie's on the album too, really light with um, the skip, if at all. So that's that's another one. Um, he got superstar producers too. Yeah. He just went in on this album. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Most definitely, great listen. Um, just out of fairness to the list, you mentioned Nas. I said it was part of my top ten. Oh yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. And, go ahead. Um, you know, I want to give a shout out first to the beat. Um, Crisis. You know, put out an album, The Hour of Crisis, that you actually did a whole post on our site for, and a lot of people. I believe Crisis has won a Grammy. Um, you know, when Ninth Wonder was building out the Soul Council, Crisis was like his, he was the Pippin and Ninth Jordan, if that's a fair comparison. And not, and Crisis did joints, I believe, on the Minstrel Show, did one, I think, maybe two, did stuff with Sean Price in those days when Ninth was working with Duck Down, and has really expanded. I mean, he's he's got 20 years just about of hits, but he made this album, and it's, you know, it's it's a producer compilation style record, but it's really a cut above the rest. Um, he has my favorite Dell, the funky homo sapiens song in years called keep walking on, which is just one of my joints this year. Dell is in full, like locked in wisdom mode, Mr. Big mouth, the De La soul joint. And then, you know, I might, I must seem like an evidence stand, but there's a joint on there called asylum. I really, really like this record. It's an easy, pleasurable listen. It shows crisis's range and um, you know, shout out to Jamla, you know, Rhapsody did not put out an album this year. But um, Jam was making moves. You know, I sent you yesterday a joint by Ian Kelly that I really like, too. Um, the last three to close out my 10 are very much about the MC, even though they have great producers involved with them. Um, Armand Hammer and Alchemist put out a joint called Haram, which we talked about in brief earlier this year. And Armand Hammer is the duo of Billy Woods and Elucid, you know, two very, very, very talented MCs. And, and they remind me a lot of, stuff you might have received on like Fondalum, um, early pre-priority distribution ruckus back in the day. I mean, 
MCs that that don't care about necessarily being so in the pocket. It's more about what they say. And similar to what you said about Mock, there is so much to unpack. You'll catch a reference or make a connection. Um, you know, it's very impressionistic style. And Alchemist, who's doing these incredible albums. I mean, last year, Grammy nominated with Gibbs for, um, you know, Alfredo to come in and produce these guys over in Brooklyn, over in New York and make a really incredible body of work. And then if I'm not mistaken, they performed it together on summer stage. And, you know, we're living in a really interesting time for quote unquote underground independent hip hop um, where, you know, some of the biggest people making music are paying closer attention and they're able to make an album like this. And the whole Backwood Studios movement, you know, I've been a fan of for years, but this is a true jewel in their discography and an album, um, Earl Sweatshirt's involved, Curly Castro, you know, uh, Imani, like people that I come back to and listen, but, but it's a lean back experience. Another, another album about the MC to me is The Plugs I Met Too. And you and I back in March, when this came out, touted it as one of the best albums that had come out this year. It's a very short album. Um, the Plugs I Met franchise is sacred to any Benny the Butcher fan. He came back with volume two and did it all with Harry Fraud. And Harry's had a great year. I mean, you know, done great stuff with Jim Jones and Currency. You know, he's been in the mix for a really long time. But I feel like for as versatile and, you know, sometimes Harry Fraud can make beats that jump out in front of the MC. He let Benny do his thing. And I've really enjoyed this record. I mean, Benny does not deviate from, you know, what he's always given you. But the standout joint to me, oddly enough, is Survivor's Remorse, where Benny really dedicates a whole song to him still being here and all of his comrades back in Buffalo that are either dead or in jail. And it's a really personal, deep record. Um, BSF artist Rick Hyde is on it. Um, but yeah, that album, I mean, Benny's streak of consistency. You and I had a headline. There's been no MC more consistent over the last two years than Benny the Butcher. And, you know, that album is very much evident in that. And the last LP on my top 10, I really, there's a few that could have, taking the spot i really i listened to a lot of music the last two weeks and i have to give it up based on my listens and it goes to breeze bruin um with his album hindsight and people may know breeze i mean he was the primary mc on prince paul's prince among thieves back in 99 the front man of the juggernauts with his two siblings uh bloody buddy slim and queen heroine this album is really important to me it's it's a it's a very personal album um I'm not the first writer to use this analogy, but Breeze raps like he raps in cursive. Um, you know, it's very scribbly. It's, he's got a really unique style of delivery and flow and it shines on here. It's probably an acquired taste, but there's really personal records on here. He has a joint called the uninvited and I'm still haven't figured out who he's referring to at times. I think it might even be DMX, but he talks about growing up and another MC that he came up with who goes on these big tours and they had this pact sort of like Eminem with D12 of like, yo, you get on, you come back for me. And that didn't happen. And instead of being bitter about it, Breeze celebrates his friend and just kind of looks at it as a lump in the game. You know, he has another song called Taking Notes, which he talks about, you know, his life as a teacher in the Bronx, like literally teaching um, impressionable minds and how he tries to help these kids get to a better place. I wrote, I was one of the, the front runners in 2005 that really got behind Sean Price's Monkey Bars album, which was Sean, again, being super personal. It was kind of a Hail Mary pass in a career when, as Sean has said, like 
he very nearly walked away from rap and went and did something else with his life. And he made music that was so personal and so meaningful and so good that people got around it. And Breeze has always been an elite MC to me, did a lot of great stuff with the Weathermen and Company Flow and Indelible MCs. And this album, it, got, it went under the radar of many, but it's a truly, truly great album. I've sent you a lot of songs from it over the year, and I'd be remiss if I didn't put it in my top 10. Word. That's dope. That's dope. I haven't listened to that one. I'm, I'm going to definitely check that out. Um, I'm going to download and listen to it today, actually. So, Word. you know, I had a few honorable mentions, um, some of which are in yours. So Arm & Hammer, for sure. Uh, Haram and Crisis, the, the, the Hour of Chaos. Um, some that that um, didn't make it, and I'm gonna, some will probably make it uh, on yours. Honorable mentions too is so Ransom and Rome Streets, uh, Coup de Grace, um, AZ's Door Die Two, yeah. Joel Ortiz Autograph, and Easily Mine could have been a top twenty. Uh, you know, we just decided to do top ten. Um, some soundtracks, The Harder They Fall, I think was a great one. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, also Star Studded. Um, one that was in heavy rotation for our playlist. And then a couple of ones that probably uh, might be surprising to people. Um, but one is Donda. You know, I think yeah. that the more that I listen to Donda, um, there are at least 10 songs that I think are incredibly strong. I think, again, this is one that if it was cold to like even 15, 17 songs, it may have made my top 10, but, you know, 28 songs or whatever it is now, 31 it's a lot to get through and I do think it loses a little bit of steam. Um, and another is Migos culture three. That's an album that the first five or six joints, like just unstoppable for me. Um, and, you know, um, having songs like, um, uh, why am I forget avalanche where they do the temptations, um, you know, one of the best beats of the year is incredible and they, they kill it. The joint with Drake, too, is amazing, too. So the Migos Culture 3 is um, kind of rounds out my, my honorable mentions for this year. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned West Side Gun, and especially Sincerely. Oh, Asian. sorry, and Benny, and Benny, Benny yeah, also, yeah. The, uh, that, you know, Side A, especially, the Russ album, uh, easily could have been if this was a 20 list. Donda as well. Just in quick, you know, you say Migos, and I know there's people that listen to our podcast or follow the site that may or may not be Migos fans or see that as a stretch for us. You've kept that on the playlist. I, I love that song. The minute you sent it to me, I, you know, played it 10 times. I think young thug made a great album in punk straight up. Like to me, I've, I've heard a lot over the years of, of young thugs merits and I really see him in full form on punk. Um, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to this year and I know it's Grammy nominated with tower. The creators call me if you get lost, that would, if, it, if this was a list of 20, that would hundred percent be on it. Um, the only other things that I, I think are, are worth mentioning for me are, are three kind of beat albums. Um, you know, production and beat culture is part of hip hop. Mad Lib, you know, and we included in our mid-year list, but Sound Ancestors, great joint. Um, similarly, and it, I really struggle with, you know, it doesn't have the kind of breakbeat feel of a Mad Lib, but Flying Lotus with Yasuki, um, he has Denzel Curry rap on the album, but it's it's more electro kind of spatial i mean flying lotus has always been in a class of his own but that was one of my most listened to albums this year and i think a case could be made that it is hip-hop and then lastly damu the fudge monk you know a a a true og and beat culture put out a joint called conversation piece which has blue and nitty scott and raw poetics rapping on it and that's one i keep coming back to too as an honorable mention so for sure and 
you know, overall, just what an interesting year for music, kind of unlike a lot of others, really. Word, for sure. A really great year. Um, I think last year was a great one, too. And, and last year was one where we saw the Grammys recognizing those albums that we love and our community loves, um, too. So I think music is, is in a good place and continuing to to uh, open up the aperture, which is great. So um, one last thing before we wrap um, on the news front is is kind of a subplot to this whole Kanye Drink Champs interview. So Kanye was on there. And in addition to talking about Drake, he had a lot of pointed words about Big Sean, um, big, uh, good music signee. He was asked what was his biggest regret, I think, musically or whatever, or signing. And he said Big Sean was his biggest regret. And he 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 said it was because Sean was disloyal and abandoned him when he um, ran for president and when he you know decided to endorse Trump. Um but, you know, said some really, you know, sharp things. And so Sean was on um, Drink Champs premiered yesterday or uh, Friday. It wasn't um, in response to it. He was initially supposed to be on and just it so happened that the Kanye thing happened first. But it was a really incredible listen. Three hours long as our most Drink Champs. It took like 40 minutes or so in before they even started drinking heavily. <laughs> um, it seemed like Sean was not going to do that. His publicist, was, he was there to be a second set of eyes and ears. Um, but then at the one hour and 46 mark, it gets super real. And he responds to Kanye's allegations and goes in depth about the, the business dealings they have and how he's been, he thinks, the most loyal person on good music. He stayed with him, uh, did five albums with him. Uh, you know, but he says that he's owed and the numbers I've seen are six million dollars. And Sean said six million at one point, two, but kind of, you know, backtracks on that a little bit. Um, but in any case, it's millions of dollars. And he's like, yo, if you know, this dude is worth billions. And, you know, Kanye on that drink champ was saying he's worth nine billion dollars or something like that. And he just owes me some M's like, don't you think it's the right thing for him to do? And he said that he had gone to Universal thinking it was Vivendi and Universal holding back the money, but it became clear through an audit that the money it had been paid. cost on six figures, yeah. Yeah, that, that the money had been paid to good music, which is Kanye's imprint, and uh, it just never made its way to Big Sean. Now, with record contracts, especially, and, you know, Big Sean said this, his manager, Jay Brown, who's, you know, very high in Rock Nation and uh, very close to Jay-Z, has said this is the worst contract he's ever seen. And, um, you know, Jay Brown has been in the business for a long time. So for that to be the case, it must be extra horrific because generally speaking at their foundation record company uh, agreements are terrible, but the ones that are the worst are the ones that are kind of production company, which is, you know, it's the mid-level agreement. So typically an artist will sign directly to the record label, but sometimes they'll sign to a production company that then signs to the record label which means there's a middleman taking a piece of your percentage. So if a typical artist will get 12 to 14% of royalties under a production deal, you could get six to 8%, something like that. So you're really taking a huge hit. And then, you know, not to get too technical into it, but all the stuff that, that, um, that uh, comes out for a record. So music videos, the recording budget, like um, sometimes touring, all those things are taken out of the artist's money but it's not off the top. It's not all the money that comes in for the record. Instead, you're recouping those costs through your percentage of the royalty. 
So if there's a hundred thousand dollars in costs and and the record generates a million dollars in revenue, um, you know, let's say that the person gets six percent of that, um, so sixty thousand um, dollars, that they still owe forty thousand dollars technically, even though the record company has made nine hundred thousand dollars. Right. So those economics are insane, um, but that's the way the music business works. And so it's very possible that even though, uh, you know, Big Sean um, generated 30 million, 40, 50 million dollars, whatever it was, that because of the construct of his agreement, he still technically owes the label money. But I don't know, maybe his audit factors all that in and he still is owed six million dollars. And if that's the case then it's really crazy that he didn't receive that fund. Uh, but, you know, Sean is very factual. Well, he's very honest, very revealing and and very detailed um, and very convincing, in my opinion, that what he's saying is true. But w- what was your takeaway from it? Yeah, I thought the loyalty point was just so interesting. You know, I mean, he uh, he compares himself to Kid Cudi, which is, is timely, right? Because Cudi is, you know, very much in cahoots again with Kanye, at least on, you know, on Donda. And Drake. Um, and and Drake's album, yeah, and 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 Big Sean makes perhaps a larger point at that point in the discussion. It comes maybe forty minutes later of some tensions back in the day when uh, Sean had Drake and they had their own relationship on Dark Sky. What was it? Dark Sky Paradise. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. On um, blessings. Right. On blessings. And yeah. and you know, I, I thought Sean made a really good point for himself, and he really has been, you know what perhaps Meek Mill has been to MMG, you know, he has been the dedicated person to good. And, and I, I thought about it, like, I even looked, I was like, you know, a lot of people think that Two Chains is a good music artist. Two Chains has always been a Def Jam artist. He's just been an affiliate, you know, of, of good. And Common was there for a minute and then moved on to Common's things. Cudi was there for a minute and moved on to Cudi's things. And Sean, in a lot of ways, seems to be feeling the wrath of, um, something that he didn't do. And I had made a great case. I really liked the way that he handled himself in that interview. And, and early on at that conversation, Nori made the point of like, yo, we talk about Kendrick, Cole, Drake, maybe he said Travis too. There's this elite class and truly Sean is deserving of, of being included in that. And if you look at the numbers, if you look at what's accomplished, you know, it's hard to dispute that. And, and Sean very much popped on the scene around that same time and has done so much with his career. So I watched about an hour of that. I saw that it was over three hours long. I do want to catch the rest of it, but it's very interesting. And I would hope that Kanye addresses that. You know, I've, I've heard grumblings that after the um, Drink Champs, you know, Beanie Siegel and Freeway posted this, this thing on Instagram of Beanie with a large sum of cash money. And it was kind of wink, wink, nod, nod that maybe Kanye paid him out for giving him the easy name and really created a deal of revenue for beans. I would hope that if that's the case, Kanye, who doesn't seem short of cash in any way, shape or form right now, um, does right by Sean. Because I think that would be another thing that looks good in hip hop when we've seen so many contracts disputes get ugly. Although, interestingly, I saw a headline this weekend saying that Kanye believes he'll be broke in five years because he's converting all his properties into churches. So who knows? <laughs> who knows what the actual financial state is, you know? But, yeah, that's an incredible shout out to Dream Chance, man. They've had some great interviews this year. Um, yeah. So new music. You want to talk new music of the week? Yeah, I'll just give a shout out to a couple of songs. I sent it to you and you added it to the playlist. Shout out to the Cool Kids. It came out um, three weeks ago. But they did a new song with Larry June called All or Nothing. And, and it's got 
you know, it's got kind of an homage to Dre and the beat. And, you know, the cool kids were, were pioneers of so much of what transpired in the mid 2010s. I almost feel sometimes they were on the scene too early and didn't get to see some of the benefit of their style choices, of their nostalgia, of their forward thinking. I mean, they were a really cool package, Chuck English and uh, Sir Mikey Rocks. And to have them come back with a really dope record, that moved me. And they have an album coming in early 20, 2022. We may have them on the show. Um, also, RZA put out a two-pack with the Flatbush Zombies. RZA is credited as a producer on both songs, co-producer. The first one was called Plug Addicts. Full disclosure, wasn't, wasn't 100% my joint, but they put one out this weekend called Quentin Tarantino, which, as you may recall, is Riz's boy, and that one goes. Like, um, it's a co-production, but it's a really, really good beat. And it's a cool, you know, you and I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, breaking the generation gap. I mean, Flatbush Zombies, you got two kind of Brooklyn representatives. I know Rizza has a foot in Staten Island and a foot in Brooklyn, but coming, you know, 25 years apart and making a really dope jam. So I like seeing that. Um, I had sent you a song called Never at Peace by the Career Cooks, which is shout out to Philly, Zilla Rocca and Small Professor, uh, two really good guys. And I really have enjoyed that album. Just just good MC producer duo. I think this is their second album. And then lastly, we've mentioned both on this podcast. But yesterday, um, very low key, Alchemist put out a new album with Boldy James called Super Tecmo Bo. Um, and, you know, Boldy has been on a prolific tear. He's down with Griselda. Um, does some of his best work with Alchemist. I played that once through, but really need to sit with it. But, you know, have you checked out any of those? Any new music you want to add? I have not. I just I just downloaded the Boldy and Alchemist. So I didn't know that was out. And I, I did download Breeze Bruin. Uh, I'll just add the last thing is the the contract, which we talked about, Dr. Dre. For sure. uh, you know, that is within the, the Grand Theft Auto Um game but you know quick youtube search you can find like the entire like thing and that's really really high quality music so yeah or even an afh search you might catch it so i want to end with i want to ask you two questions you got a song of the week and then we may not do another podcast depending on what happens so i'm curious do you have a song of the year so song of the week is uh eta from that that contract uh the, the grand theft auto um you know it's dr dre featuring anderson pack uh snoop dogg and buster rhymes incredible real soulful and uh the interplay between the mcs harkens back to like the run dmc days and you know with the call and response kind of thing which is dope song of the year that's a tough one um you know as i mentioned earlier um, you know, I think that that Stellar Ray Theory by Makami is a joint that I've played over and over and over again. Um, but I would say that the song I probably wore out this year beyond that was My Life. Um, you know, um uh J. Cole with Twenty One Savage and Moray. That joint is incredible to me and so yeah off the top that would probably be it how about you yeah for the week i'll just give it up to the cool kids and larry june i keep coming back to that great production great interplay for the year it's my most played song according again to uh, the dsps all of that said by evidence and boldy james it's just one highlight i could go with two or three different songs on ev's album but um i love 
the way those two guys from different worlds come together and uh, very easily my song of the year in terms of what it says. And also it was just my soundtrack. So. Word. Well, happy holidays to everyone. Thank you all for tuning in uh, this year. You know, Jake and I do this for the love. We're really glad that there are other people who enjoy it. Um, you know, we continue to celebrate you. Um, wish everyone a safe and peaceful end to this year and hope that there, there are no more losses. You know, unfortunately, we tend to see that a lot this time of year, but um, many things to be grateful for. So thank amen, you. Amen. Thank you all. Yeah. And until we do it again, man. Word. All, all right. right. Peace. Peace. Man.